Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. In today's scripture, we encounter a well-known psalm that speaks to the inescapable nature of God. The psalmist tells us that God's wisdom goes before us. God's power formed all of creation. And as we will read in a moment, we can never be without God's presence. God makes no distinction between the farthest limits, the heaven or sea, the light or dark, where God is always with us. Let us turn now to this morning's scripture reading. Today's reading is from Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. A couple weeks ago, Rev. Mark spoke to doubt and faith as two sides of the same coin. A rich faith life is sprinkled with doubt, those moments or seasons in life when you put your faith to the test and what comes out on the other side is a faith that seems to belong to you even more. Much of the phrasing in our Peace Prayer series can be understood in a similar way. Hatred and love, why is love so powerful? Because love risks. It's why people hold their breath when they get down on one knee and ask their loved one, will you marry me? It's risky. Or when an LGBTQ person comes out to their family and friends, it risks the possibility of the flip side of that two-sided coin. Love or hate? Where there is injury, pardon. What is there to pardon if there is no injury? We can only understand what it means to pardon or forgive because there's something that needs to be forgiven. Two sides of the same coin. But there are lots of gradations in between these two sides of the coin, right? There are people we don't necessarily like, but we don't hate. There are people we love who we don't always like. A parent once told me, I love all my children, but I don't always like them. Fair enough. There's lots of nuance in our world. Things never seem to be fully this or that. 
As much as we want to make our lives simpler by setting up a world of binaries, there are two options. It's either this way or that way. You're Republican or Democrat. But what about someone who belongs to the rent is too darn high party? It's a thing. You're black or you're white, but what about Latin Americans? You're gay or you're straight, but what about bisexual people? You're a man or you're a woman, but what about a non-binary person? You either believe in X, Y, and Z, and you're a Christian, or you don't believe it, and you're not a Christian. But there are nearly 45,000 denominations across the world who all identify as Christian. Our world simply doesn't exist in the this or that. As much as we try to squeeze our experiences into one category or the other, our world doesn't reflect these binary categories we try to fit our experiences into. A Christian blogger whose gender is non-binary and whose pronouns are she and they writes the following about the believe binaries in our created world. They say, God made day and night. This sounds like a binary, similar to male and female, right? But that isn't quite all we experience in 24 hours. Sunrises and sunsets do not fit into the binary of day or night. Yet God paints the skies with these two. On the second day, God separated the sky from the water. Seems like another binary, yet the clouds hold water for us in the sky. The condensation and rain cycle refreshing our earth constantly. The sky, separate from water, contains and releases water. Then she describes how God also said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. That isn't the full story either. Consider marshes, swamps, bogs and fens, not fully land, not fully waters. There is such glorious variety in God's creation. We see another binary in the celestial bodies God made, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then, almost as a footnote, and the stars. There is more than just the sun and the moon in outer space. Planets, asteroids, black holes, supernovae. God created the great sea monsters and every winged bird of every kind, a split again between water and sky. Yet we see creatures like penguins that are definitely a winged bird but do not fly and instead walk and swim. They ask, does all this variety invalidate God as creator? Of course not. It just doesn't exclude the possibility of more. And so she says, we worship the God of more, the God of the marsh, the penguin, the God of the sunrise, the cloud, the supernovae, the God of the nine binary. You are loved. There's so much more to our world than binaries and the values we assign to them. Going back to our earlier list, Republican or Democrat, do you know which one you think is good and which one you think is less good? How about gay or straight? And Christian or non-Christian? It's a trap of binary thinking that one always has to be good and the other 
is bad. Today we look at lightness and darkness. And I know you're thinking, surely we can say that lightness is good and darkness is bad, right? Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. Paul writes in the letter to the Romans that Jesus wears an armor of light and casts out darkness. The prophet Micah says, when I sit in darkness, God will be a light. And how many times have we described someone in our lives who's struggling as going through a dark time? The light is good. The dark is hard at the very least. But have you ever watched a thriller movie and the characters are exploring a dark cave of some kind? One of the characters has this brilliant idea of turning on the flashlight and you know this is a bad idea. This isn't going to end well. You're in this in-between space where you know exactly what's about to happen, but you're simultaneously terrified and gripping the person next to you. The character in the movie turns on the flashlight and the zombie jumps out after being stirred awake by the flashlight. If you haven't seen this movie, you can at least imagine this scenario. The light is no friend to these explorers who could have otherwise navigated the cave without waking up the zombies. This is a silly example, but it, it does call into question, is the light good and the dark bad? And it's complicated. In the church world, in the church world, I'm reminded of how many people have sat in bright, well-lit sanctuaries and have been told they aren't good enough. How many harmful theologies have led to religious trauma under the bright lights of sanctuaries? Calls into question, is the light good and the dark bad? It's complicated. Last summer, Diane and I visited the Sawtooth Mountain Range in Idaho. The cabin where we stayed sits in this valley that's in the middle of what's known as the Central Idaho Dark Sky Reserve. It's one of only 12 dark sky reserves in the world. And it's a reserve because the community commits to not let light pollute the dark sky. The community rallies to protect the night sky. Being a city person myself, I didn't really understand how much the city lights pollute the sky. But when the sun set and the night woke up, the dark sky took my breath away. Stars, 10 billion years old, illuminated by the darkness. For the first time in my life, I saw the Milky Way, this 13.5 billion year old galaxy. In the deepest darkness, I saw the universe at its brightest. To think that the whole universe rests above us every day and it's the dark that illumines the galaxies. In the Hebrew Bible, there are a number of words that are translated as darkness. One word, Erephel, is used each moment God's presence is made known in a thick, cloudy darkness. It's the Hebrew word exclusively chosen each moment God appears in this kind of darkness. After Moses reveals the Ten Commandments to the people and there was thunder and lightning, Exodus tells us the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the Arafel where God was. Moses draws near to this thick 
cloudy darkness where God is and God speaks to Moses to establish a covenant with the people of Israel, a sacred culminating moment for the Israelites who had just fled Egypt. Barbara Brown Taylor, author, teacher, Episcopal priest, in her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, writes, those of us who wish to draw near to God should not be surprised when our vision goes cloudy. For this is a sign that we are approaching the opaque splendor of God. If we decide to keep going beyond the point where our eyes or minds are any help to us, we may finally arrive at the pinnacle of the spiritual journey toward God, which exists in complete and dazzling darkness. Dazzling darkness is the pinnacle of the spiritual journey. The darkness strips away a lot. It heightens our other senses. When you're walking in the dark, instead of being able to look at the rock and say it's small, rough, and pointy, you feel the rock and your description of it becomes richer. The rock is, is gritty and tapered at one end. The darkness heightens our senses and in our spiritual lives, the darkness reveals truths that we could have never known otherwise because we were only relying on what we could see in the light. Darkness in, invites mystery into our lives. The mystics call it mysterium tremendum, awe-inspiring mystery. The darkness strips away a lot of what we think we know and calls it into question. Maybe that's why the darkness gets a bad reputation. Because in the darkness, we have to admit to ourselves how little we really know. I see this a lot in pastoral care work. Someone uses the darkness to describe the season of life they are in. They tell me they have a new diagnosis of a chronic illness and don't understand why this is happening when they've done so much good in their life and God is good. For them, this, this darkness calls into question a belief they've held throughout the lightness of their lives. If you're a good person, God will only allow good things to come your way. Darkness makes us vulnerable and uncertain. But it's also the darkness that allows us to see a universe of stars otherwise eclipsed by the lightness of the sun. It's in the darkness that we find God's presence with us, guiding us to new life without having to compete with our certitude. One of the greatest mysteries of our faith, Jesus's resurrection, occurred in a dark cave. Yet out of that cave emerged new life. There are lessons and new life we can only discover in the dark. In the dark, we discover new truths that we could have never known otherwise because we were only relying on what we could see in the light. Our psalmist in today's scripture says, even the darkness is not dark to you, O God. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. There are lessons and new life we can only discover in the dark just as there are things that only belong to the light. The light and the dark both illumine different lessons in our journeys at different moments along the way, 
They have a symbiosis to them. The light needs the dark as much as the dark needs the light. For a while, I was a volunteer chaplain at a children's hospital and trauma center in San Diego. We had a patient who was nine years old with terminal brain cancer. He lived at the hospital for the most part. He had treatment to reduce the size of the tumor in an attempt to get him a little more time. He was a smart kid. He learned that if he said his head hurt and put a cover over his face, the frequent visitors to the hospital room would leave him be. The first three times I visited, a cover was over his face. The fourth visit, a cover was over his face just until just after his mother's friend left. And he suddenly shot up out of bed and we talked about video games and baseball. I knew I was in with him after that visit. Every now and then during our visits, he would turn to me and say something about what's going on. The first time he told me, I have cancer in my brain. The second time, I'm going to die. Each time I'd say, I, I know. He never wanted to talk further about it. He seemed to just want me to know that he understood. Instead, we talked about the teammates on his baseball team who visited or random baseball facts that went over my head. It's all sports ball to me. When he died, an entire neighborhood of San Diego that night put candles out on their front porches. Thousands of candles, teammates, classmates, neighbors, strangers. And when his mom was asked the meaning behind these candles by a reporter, she said, he loved to play baseball and we just wanted him to always know where he could find home base. We need the dark as much as we need the light because the dark illumines the path to the presence of God, to new life, to home. Our takeaways this morning are, the darkness invites awe-inspiring mystery into our lives where God does not have to compete with our certitude. So lean into the dark. Jesus himself goes off into the dark to pray in his struggle. Drive the 30 minutes it takes to get away from the city lights and listen for God's presence speaking to you in complete and dazzling darkness. And lastly, we worship the God of more, the God of the non-binary, the God of the marsh, the penguin, the God of the sunrise, the cloud, the supernovae, the God of the stars. Amen. This is my song, O God of all the nations, a song of peace for lands afar and mine. This is my home, the country where my heart is. These are my hopes, my dreams, my holy shrine. But other hearts in other lands 
sing with hopes and dreams as true and high as mine. My country's skies are bluer than the ocean, and sunlight beams on clover leaf and pine. But other lands have sunlight too, and clover. Skies are everywhere as blue as mine. This is my song, O God of all the nations, a song of peace for their land and for mine. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.